Let's pray together, shall we? Father, as we reach for our Bibles, would you challenge and stir our hearts? And as we seek to encourage and challenge our dads today, would you just let your word accomplish its purpose as it does so well through the ministry of your Holy Spirit, through the preaching of the word. And we do want to encourage and strengthen our homes and our families today, Lord, by strengthening our fathers. It's in Jesus' name that we ask these things. Amen. Well, thank you. You may be seated. And my 17-year-old son, our only child left at home, is in the van heading down I-70 right about now somewhere. Um, And so we celebrated Father's Day a little bit early, and they grilled some steaks, and we had a good time. And Jonathan gave me a card, and I thought I would share it with you. It made me laugh. It's a picture of a house, and coming out of the window of the house, represented with a loud voice bubble, is uh, somebody saying, it's the dad, close the door, are you trying to heat the whole outdoors? (laughs) And when you open it, it says, dad, thanks to you, I have countless pieces of advice to pass on to my own children. (laughs) And then in parentheses, it says that they probably won't follow either. And it made me laugh because my dad used to say the same thing that I say to Jonathan. Shut the door. My dad always used his youngest brother's name for some reason. I have no idea why. To us kids. And he would say, shut the door, Richard. We're not heating the outside. And so I say to Jonathan all the time, shut the door, Richard. We're not heating the outside. But you know, um, it struck me that... um, This card captures some really important basic realities for fathers. And the first one is that fathers really are instructors, aren't they? We are to instruct our children. And it's a huge part of our responsibility. The second thing about this card that struck me was that, believe it or not, our children really do hear what we say. (laughs) They do hear us, even if they make fun of us. Or disregard us. And thirdly, just thinking about how my son can repeat what my father said to me, it occurred to me when I read this card that it is very probable that at least some of my words, at least some of my instruction will be heard by the very next generation, not just my generation. And that's a serious and challenging reality. And today, I want to encourage our fathers that are here today. I know that not everyone in the room is a father. But even as we do a Bible study today for fathers, I know that it will benefit all of us because we cannot hold our Bibles on our lap, whether they're paper or electronic, and study the Word together and it not have an impact on us. That's just how it works. But I don't want to beat dads up at all. I want to challenge our fathers today and I want to encourage our fathers. And I want you to be well aware of the fact that I'm including myself uh, in our list that we come up with to encourage fathers today. I've entitled our message today, A Father's Heart. What I want as we study the Word of God today is to just 
examine our hearts as fathers and see what's in there and let it bubble over because I know that for almost all of our fathers, there's just a lot that we want for our children in our hearts. And the problem with us is either through busyness or fatigue or stress or just any number of demands upon our lives, it's difficult sometimes to get out of our hearts what we want to pour into the lives of our children A father's heart. What's in the father's heart and how can it bubble out into the lives of our children? As I was thinking and preparing for this Father's Day message, it occurred to me that perhaps the glaring failure of fathers today could be categorized as passivity. It might not be that we don't care. It might not be that we don't have the wisdom to pass on or that we don't love our children But it's just for any number of reasons we tend to sometimes be more passive in our fathering and in in pouring our hearts out to our children. Maybe it's a lack of confidence. Maybe it's the failures that exist in our own framework. And we end up being categorized as passive fathers. Listen, um, that's a struggle in my own life. Uh, to pour my life into the lives of other people and to end up being passive towards my own son. I, wanna, I don't want to be a, a passive father. I want to be actively pouring my heart out into my children and my grandchildren. And I know you do too. In the Bible, we have examples of passivity from godly fathers. And we recognize that it is incredibly destructive and debilitating to the next generation. I think the classic illustration of that, and you do not have to turn there, is in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2. The beginning of the story of uh, Samuel there when he was a little boy being delivered to the temple where the priest Eli was his caretaker. And do you remember that Eli was a passive father? And Eli had two adult sons who served as priests in the temple, Hophni and Phinehas. And God described them as wicked men. In open, unashamed, public ways, they would commit sexual immorality with the women of the city there, right on the front steps of the temple. They disgraced the rituals of worship, and they were worthless men. And all their father did was just say, you know, you shouldn't do that. But he never actively, evidently, interrupted their lives. And evidently, he was too distracted in ministry when they were little boys to shape and mold them. And they ended up in the priesthood genetically, but not spiritually because of his passivity. It's a real challenge to engage with our children. It's a real challenge to to sort out the utter nonsense of the world in which we live and to define righteousness from darkness and and to be fathers who stand for truth. And so let's, uh, let's use that concept for our very first point and let's turn and begin our Bible study as we examine our hearts, the Father's heart, and what is the spillover of the Father's heart that can be poured into the lives of His children. And we begin in Joshua chapter 24 where a father stands before his children and a general stands before his people and he puts out a challenge. What is stirring your heart today, Father? What's in your heart? 
Maybe it can be described in some of these categories. And we see in Joshua, number one today, that, that he firmly but lovingly, number one, out of his heart came the willingness to confront. He had a heart to confront. He was a father who had a heart to confront. And Joshua chapter 24 is the last chapter of Joshua. And, and if you know a little bit about the chronology of your Bibles, you know that Joshua comes right after the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the story of the beginnings and the story of the children of Israel in the wilderness and the book of Exodus and the stories in Deuteronomy and Numbers and Exodus have a lot to do with the 40 years in the wilderness after they left Egypt and the 10 plagues and Pharaoh released them and Moses was their great leader. And you'll recall that in the first chapter of Joshua, it comes time for Moses to be taken up into heaven and because of his own failure and his own disobedience in the wilderness, um, when he did not carry out the instruction of the Lord, God said to him, because of that, you will never personally possess the promised land that I'm taking you to. Right before Moses died, he let him go up on the mountain and he let him have a gaze. He let him look over into, into the valley of Jordan there and into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, we say. And you remember when Caleb and Joshua, Joshua and his buddy Caleb were, were one of the ten spies. And when they came back, the other spies said, we can't go into the land because they're filled with giants. But Joshua and Caleb said, yes, we can. God will deliver us. And the land was so fruitful and beautiful that they carried on a pole between their shoulders gobs of the produce and fruit of the land. But they didn't get to possess it then. And it was 40 years later. Moses dies. And now Joshua is the, the leader. He had been Moses' right hand. He had been his commander of his army. He was now overwhelmed with the reality of leadership. And you read that in Joshua chapter 1. And fathers, I would challenge you as homework this week. That Joshua chapter 1 is, is a chapter that you should read multiple times in the context of a man given a charge and responsibility that is overwhelming to him. And that's the spirit with which you read Joshua chapter 1 as he has those classic verses there where he says, where God tells Joshua to not be afraid and to be confident. And you know those verses. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law of Moses my servant commanded. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. And this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then he will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. And God was giving a pep talk to Joshua. God was encouraging Joshua because he was overwhelmed with his new position of being the leader of Israel. And he embraces it. And by God's power and God's strength, Joshua did it overall an excellent job of leading Israel. And he led them into the promised land. It was a time of conquest. It was a time of growth. It was a time of taking over their possession of what God had given them. And that's a spiritual picture for us as well, that we possess all of the riches that we have in Christ and that we just not look at it from a distance, but that we, like Joshua, enter in and possess these realities. Well, here we are at the end of the book now in chapter 24, and Joshua is ready to die himself. He's 110 years old. 
And he's a father, no doubt, with many grandchildren. And he's concerned about them. And he's concerned about the next generation. And he's also concerned about his country. And if you were to take the time to read all of chapter 24, you would see that verses 1 through 13 are a chronological historical account that Joshua begins as he has gathered the people, and, and as a general and as a leader, he has gathered his people and his leadership teams, and as a father, he has gathered his own family, and he's giving his final talk to them. It occurs to me on a couple fronts that even as Joshua gives his final talk and then he dies, that it's important for us fathers to remember that the last lesson that most of us teach our children is how to die, how to go be with the Lord. Make sure that you do it well. Make sure that as a father, and almost always, the father is the first one to go. Make sure, like Joshua did, that you go to heaven well and teach your children even as you depart. The second thing that occurred to me here that is not part of my list today in our Bible study of the spillover of a father's heart is that as Joshua challenged the people, he gives a historical account, verses 1 through 12, 1 through 13, of all of the great things that God has done and how faithful he has been. You can read it. It's nothing more than a historical rundown of how God has been faithful to them and the things that they've been through. And that's why when we get our our eyes on verse 14 of chapter 24, he says, now therefore, because he's been saying, God has been so faithful. He's parted the sea. He drowned Pharaoh's army. Now therefore, because of his faithfulness and feeding us in the wilderness and giving us the new land and all the things that he's done for us. Therefore, I want you to fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness and put away the gods, little g, that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, so if you don't have a heart to serve the Lord, then you have to make a choice. And that choice is to choose today whom you're going to serve. If it's the gods of your father's, that they served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. You can do that, he's saying. But as for me and my house, here's the father speaking from his heart. Here's the spillover of this father's heart. Number one, it is to confront his children. It is to lovingly confront his children. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You have a choice to make. There's a battle going on out there. We have an enemy who's seeking to devour. We have one who is always willing to tear down and destroy our home. And you have to decide who you're going to serve. And we live in the context of a culture of paganism. And it's just as real today as it was there. And all the false gods of the Amorites and all of the world in which they've been living in Egypt had influenced their fathers. And they had been idolatrous at different times. And you're going to serve these false gods of the world? Are you going to press into the mold of the world, my children? Are you going to choose today along with me to serve the Lord? He clearly defined the contrast between righteousness and ungodliness. He clearly defined the contrast between light and darkness. And he called out his family. He called out from the depths of his heart. He confronted them lovingly to live for the Lord. I think that is such a vital role for, for fathers today, isn't it? 
that we call out our children to live righteous and godly lives in this pagan, godless world in which we live. And in case you haven't noticed, it's not getting better out there. And we need our dads to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The second thing that we see in the phrase, he calls them out in sincerity and faithfulness to put away these other gods. So he confronts them lovingly. But notice that he models with authenticity. He models with authenticity. He doesn't say, hey, you, you should go to Sunday school with your mom. He says, as for me and my house, the first thing he says is, this is what I'm doing. Number two, the spillover of his heart is to live out what he believes. And he's modeling it for his children. Fathers, what a great reminder for us today. What a great reminder for us today that we have to live out what we're teaching our children. That our lives speak louder than our words. Um, sometimes when I'm with some of my preacher buddies, we remind ourselves, and my friend Greg Alderman, uh, who's such a dear friend and a pastor in Damascus, Virginia, he often will say this, with the responsibility of preaching comes the responsibility of living. And it's a huge responsibility. And fathers, with the responsibility of instructing our children comes the responsibility of living well what we're instructing them. If we're confronting our children to have good manners and instructing them to have good manners, then we need to model good manners. Doesn't mean we can't have a good laugh once in a while when dad does something stupid or inappropriate that's not that bad. But what good is it to be pointing out these things to my children when I'm not living them out? Notice a couple things that he references that Joshua modeled. First of all, he modeled the fear of the Lord. His attitude about God was something that he modeled. Notice what it says in verse 14. He's calling them out with loving confrontation. And he's saying, I'm going to live this way. And he's saying, let's fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is to have an awe of God. A huge respect for the word of God. To tremble in the presence of a holy God when I realize my own sinfulness. And that if it hadn't been interrupted by the righteousness of Christ and taking my sin to the cross, then I am in the most scary position because I'm not good enough to stand before a holy God. And so he teaches his children the fear of God and he models the fear of God. Notice that that a sincere heart is modeled by Joshua. Serve him in sincerity. We mean business about this and we're very sincere. I'm not goofing around. Thirdly, faithful consistency. He says, and in faithfulness to God, put away these other things and separate from the world. It's with a sincere heart and faithful consistency. He lives out what he believes. And he says, let's serve the Lord. He says it in verse 15 again. And choose this day whom you will serve. Everybody serves someone or something. You either serve yourself, you serve people around you, you serve whoever it is you're trying to please and whoever it is that has a a power hold on you and you need to please them and you're serving them. Everybody serves someone or something. You're a slave to money, a slave to popularity, a slave to your own personal image, whatever it is you're serving. And Joshua says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And I will model this, what this looks like. 
How important is it for dads to model what this looks like? Third thing that we see is in the book of Job. It's the oldest book in our Bible. And we go to Job chapter 1 as we continue a Bible study examining what's in a father's heart and what needs to spill over. A father's heart needs to be willing, a heart that is willing to confront and a heart that is willing to lead by modeling And I want you to see, number three, that we need to have a heart to intercede for our children. We need to have a heart to intercede for our children. Job did this. Let's just read the first five verses of this incredible book. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright. He was one who feared God. There it is. He, he modeled for his children what it was to fear God. They knew that. And he turned away from evil. And there were born to him seven sons and three daughters, and he possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all people of the East. And his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. Evidently, they celebrated birthdays or wedding anniversaries. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and he would offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus, Job did continually. That's interesting, isn't it? Now, I don't know exactly what it is that Job was trying to do here other than he was interceding before God on behalf of his children. We know theologically and doctrinally from the study of Scripture that a father cannot cannot go before God and get God to forgive the sins of his children. If you're a child, you've got to go before God yourself. And you have a representative who can go before God and get your sin forgiven. And that's Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Your father's not good enough to pray to God and get your sin forgiven. And there's no priest who can forgive your sin. Only our high priest, Jesus Christ. And you go directly to him. And you confess and repent and forsake your sin. And he forgives. When we confess our sins, he forgives us of all unrighteousness. And each child that we have has to come to a day of accountability and reckoning before a holy God and recognize that I fall short of the glory of God and I have sinned and the wages of my sin is death, but that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, my Lord. And they go to the cross and they kneel at the cross because remember, only humble people go to the cross, only people who are broken over their sinfulness. Proud people don't get saved. They don't need God. They don't need Christ. They don't even know if he exists. In their arrogance, they think they know as much as the Bible says. And they don't believe that they're sinners and that they need a Savior and that the consequences of their sin will bring death and eternal separation from God. And each of you children here today have to do that on your own. You've got to come to a place. What I see in Job, having these ten different sacrifices that he would do continually, um, worrying about the spiritual condition of his children. That's what he was doing concerned that his children were so caught up in their partying that they forgot to they forgot the fear of God and so he interceded and to intercede is to stand before God on behalf of someone else and pray for them 
And I think that it is absolutely appropriate for, for dads and moms to intercede on behalf of their children. Listen, I, can't, I cannot save my son. My son has to acknowledge that on a day his own sinfulness and receive into his heart the resurrected Christ and all of the cleansing from his sin that was accomplished at the cross on our behalf as Jesus substituted in. But here's how I can intercede for my son. Regularly, concerned for his spiritual condition, Father, would you make my son a man of God? Father, would you give my son a tender heart for the things of God, for the word of God? Father, would you keep my son pure in this corrupt, filthy world? Father, would you prepare a young woman somewhere to maintain her purity and to stand before you just and for them someday to come together that he would have a godly, Christ-centered home and wife? Father, would you give my son a work ethic so that he's not lazy, so that he can lead his family and provide for his family? Father, would you give my son a love for the scriptures? Father, would you use my son in service for your kingdom? Father, would you give my son at an early age a heart to desire to lay up treasure in heaven? Father, would you give my son good standing with all of the people around him? Would you look favorably upon him and meet his needs and strengthen him and keep him healthy? I'm interceding for my son. Fathers, let's intercede for our children. Let's follow the model of Job and let's have a heart that is given to intercession. You know, I know that some of you, your children are gone and and they are gone not just from home, but they're gone from church and they're gone from their walk with the Lord. Intercede, fathers. Beg God to be merciful to your children. Beg God to move them through the Holy Spirit and through the embedded Word of God that you raise them up under. Or maybe you weren't born again and you didn't raise up your children in the word. Intercede on behalf of your children now. If there's life, it's not too late. Beg for God to be merciful. Job modeled intercession for us. Let's have a heart to intercede. Quickly, let's just flip to Proverbs chapter 4. And let's just glance at a, at a few of the things on my final list and not uh, overwhelm ourselves with them. In Proverbs chapter 4, we have in this book of wisdom, and I encourage our fathers to be reading Proverbs. I say this often, but remember there's 31 chapters in Proverbs. There's 30 or 31 days in most months. And that book of wisdom was set up to read a chapter a day, I believe. So whatever day of the week it is, it's the 21st today. You read Proverbs chapter 21. Tomorrow you read Proverbs chapter 22. You open your Bible and you take five or seven or eight minutes and you just say, Lord, I'm the dad here. I need wisdom. I'm going to read from your book of wisdom. Please open my eyes to this. And then you read. If you miss a day and you don't have time to make it up, just go to the next day, whatever day the calendar is. Read Proverbs. Just receive this wisdom that it's from above. You need to know that Proverbs is a very masculine book. Proverbs is written by a man to a, to a son, a father to a son. And, and so you have this phrase repeated over and over in chapter 4, verse 1. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction. It doesn't mean women and daughters can't benefit from it, but it's, it's just written in the masculine context. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, 
He taught me and he said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments and live. Reminds us of of Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3, doesn't it? Where it tells us that if we would obey and honor our fathers and our mothers, it would go well with us and we would live long on the earth. Quoted from Exodus 20, repeated in the New New Testament as a promise of blessing. If you listen, young people who are here today, learn to receive the instruction of your father. They can get a little grouchy. They can get a lot repetitive. Know that the, that the heart of the father is to just so desire that their children do right and do well. Just keep listening. Look what Proverbs says. Listen and hear their instruction. Look at the beginning of chapter 5. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Listen. Can I give you some advice, young people? When your dad or your mom says, hey, let me tell you something. Don't cut in on them and say, I know. Just be quiet and listen. You do that. I'll tell you something. It will be part of the formula of success for your lives. If you will just be quiet and listen and really readily receive the instruction. Your father has a lot to offer you. I was thinking the other day about my father moving my hand down as a little boy to the end of my hammer handle so that I would swing and van. Get your hand down here. Your hand's too close to the head. Bring it down here to the bottom of the handle and let the hammer do the nailing. Let, don't you let your arm do it. Let the hammer do the work. And show me how to pound nails. Van, keep your chainsaw chain up out of the dirt. You're going to dull your chain. Don't let it get down there. Man, change the oil in your car. Man, stop jumping up and slapping the tops of the doors when you walk through. You're leaving hand marks. (laughs) Listen to your father. Van, you sure you want to go out with that girl? Is she born again? No, Dad, she's not. Then what do you think? Okay, Dad, I won't go out. And I'm so thankful I didn't now. Oh, at the time... Oh, Dad, come on. (laughs) Listen to your dad. And you'll notice that this is a look at chapter. If you flip back to chapter one, verse eight. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. That's to have ears to hear. Forsake not your mother's teaching. They will garland around your neck. And that way, if sinners entice you, you will know not to go the way of sinners. Look at chapter 2. My son, if you receive my words, that's listening, young people, to your fathers. Chapter 3. My son, do not forget my teaching. That's remembering what your fathers taught you. Number 4. Our fathers have a heart, don't we? We have a heart to, number 4, instruct and teach. Can I very quickly click off some ways that we discourage our children in our teaching? And you do know that God warned fathers, not mothers, to not exasperate their children. The NIV uses the word exasperate. The King James, the ESV uses the word do not provoke your children unto anger. It's an instruction to fathers. Why? Because we tend to be grouchy. We tend to be unfeeling. We don't empathize with their feelings. We say, knock it off. Mothers naturally know how to relate at the feeling level, don't they? And they kick us under the table and say, you're hurting their feelings. I'm not hurting their feelings. I'm just talking. I'm telling them. 
but you're hurting their feelings. Well, then they should knock that off. They're too sensitive. And so fathers are given in Ephesians and Colossians, aren't we? Do not exasperate. Don't frustrate. Don't provoke your children unto wrath. Here's in our instruction, and we, our heart is to instruct. We have so much knowledge. We've learned so many things the hard way. We don't want our children to have to repeat it. I've done, I was thinking the other day, I'm in ministry, I've done almost everything wrong. When they were taken off on IFCA this morning, I thought about the time I had a busload of kids and I was driving a big yellow bus up to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to IFCA retreat where I was leading the platform and I left all of my pants and shirts hanging in the closet. <laughs> and I got to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania and we, I made us two hours late because my mother-in-law had to go to our apartment, get my clothes and drive them up there to us. Back then they had real strict rules about we had to wear a tie and everything at the youth convention. I was like, every mistake you can make. Easter Sunday morning, singing on the radio at Independent Bible Church on a big solo part on Easter Sunday morning, and I come in in the wrong key. We had to stop the whole thing and start over. It's like, I can help my son because I've made a lot of mistakes. I have done a lot of things the hard way. You don't have to do, listen, but, it, but do not provoke them. Here's Five things that I think are common in fathers, and I see it in myself, that we need to work on, dads, as we instruct and teach, as our heart is so much to instruct and teach. Number one, it's the all talk and no walk dad. It's the dad who talks it, but he doesn't walk it. And you can think of the ways that you instruct your child you may have disciplined your son even for things or your daughter for things that they've done and you do the very same thing. Maybe at a different level. Maybe it has to do with the kind of words you use and you discipline your son for speaking a certain way to his mother and then another day later you're speaking to his mother the same way. Or maybe you're using words that shouldn't become out of the mouth of a godly man and you hear it out of the mouth of your son and you discipline him and where did you hear that? I heard it from you. Oh, yeah, but I, I really hit my hand hard that day. Yeah, you know, you can talk it all you want, but if you don't walk it, you are nothing. And your instruction falls on deaf ears. Live it. Are you sitting in church, Dad, with your Bible open? Or are you bored with the gospel? Do you engage at a level where your child knows that you're living out and you're walking your talk? Something a father never says. He should never say, are we going to church tomorrow? Dads don't talk like that. Everybody in the house knows. We go to church tomorrow. And dad leads the way. And dad has his Bible open. And dad cares. And dad fears God. And he's walking the walk. He's not talking to talk. Secondly, we've already referenced it in, in, in coming into this. Harsh, discouraging, critical words of correction. Harsh, discouraging, critical words of correction. Our son shows us his work and, and he's fooled around in the shop and he's sawed up some old boards and nailed them together into a box and it's the crookedest box and he's got nails exposed splintering out and, and he shows you his box and he's really happy with what he's done and you immediately just say, well, why'd you cut it crooked and these nails are coming out here and if you would do it this way and, and the face drops, doesn't it? And the delight with which he was going to show the box to his dad just be glad your boy's messing around in the shop with boards and nails. He'll figure it out eventually, if not from you, from someone else. But don't cut their heart out with 
always correcting them. But you made it crooked. The lines on the lawn with the lawnmower are crooked. Who cares if the lines on the lawn with the lawnmower are crooked? If he's on the mower, let him mow. Now you can teach him and there's a time to instruct. And you teach him not to blow towards the house. And you teach him not to blow the lawnmower out in the road. And then Friday morning I'm mowing and I blow out towards the road and I crack a guy's truck windshield. This Friday. And I thought if that was my son, I would have ripped him, man. I knew in my heart if Jonathan had been out there and that guy pulled in my driveway, he said, dude, you cracked my windshield. And sure enough, I did. And I remembered when it happened. Just a minute before I saw him go by and I had the lawnmower pointing out to the road and I said, don't do that. But Jonathan wasn't around. I was mowing. And if Jonathan were mowing and he said, dad, I chipped a guy's glass. You know what I would have said? Why did you do that? I've told you a hundred times. And he's got his fingers in his ears, doesn't he? And then I did it. And I want patience and I make mistakes. And so harsh, discouraging, critical words of correction. Number three, in my instruction that disheartens my child, the all talk, no, no walk father, the harsh, discouraging words father, the unfair comparison with siblings and other people father. Well, your brother could, could hit a ball over the wall. How come you can't even get on base? You know, because I'd rather play ping pong. You know, who can explain how kids raised in the same house can be so different? And not all of them can hit the ball over the wall, Dad. And not all of them want to go deer hunting with you when it's below, say, 63 degrees outside. (laughs) And that's just how they're hardwired, man. And it might be the greatest disappointment of your life that your son can't bench press 225 when he's 14 years old. But don't cut his heart out. Because he'd rather take a charcoal pencil and draw pictures of birds and not bench press with you. And sometimes the strongest among us are the harshest with our children if they show any kind of weakness and especially with our boys. And we've got to be careful not to compare them with the ideal other other child or the ideal other kid who made straight A's. And you can't even get a C plus and your brother took that class and he got all A's. Well, yeah, he can take it again then if he wants. Because I just soon not go back to that class. And you know what I'm saying. Closely related to the all talk and no walk dad is number four. It's the expert know-it-all dad. And the dad who never listens to what people are saying and he's just always got the answers and he tells everybody what the answers are and he doesn't listen and half the time he's wrong. And children don't enjoy receiving instruction. I had a funny thing happen just yesterday, um, Friday, yesterday. Yesterday morning, Janet and I went to Shepherd. We work out at Shepherd at the Wellness Center. And we'll get out of here shortly. (laughs) And uh, we were stretching a little bit. And we were going to walk on the indoor track before it was time to go to work out. And and just warm up and being together and visit and walk and walk. And there's a directional arrow that they put out on the track and it goes one way or the other and you walk the direction of the arrow. And Janet was in a spot where she was stretching and couldn't see and she said, which way are we supposed to walk? And I looked and I could see the arrow and I said, we go to the left. And as soon as Janet got up and looked, she wouldn't come out on the track without looking and seeing the arrow and I started to laugh. I said, you don't believe I can tell you which direction we're supposed to walk on the track? And she said, well, how many other times have you been wrong? That's right, man. 
speaking with authority and you don't have a clue what you're talking about? Be slow to speak, quick to listen. I think the Bible says that. In the book of James, that's the expert know-it-all dad who always has the answers. That drives kids crazy. Uh, finally and done, how about, how about the father who discourages by having a standard of perfection? Nothing is ever good enough. And you cut the heart right out of our children. Yes, we want our children to be men and women of excellence. Um, But as we watch their faces and their countenance falls because I'm criticizing them again. Well, we instruct and we teach. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, tell us to exhort and encourage, have a heart of exhortation and encouragement. And Luke chapter 15 tells us about a father, number 6, who has a heart of compassion for his children. That's the prodigal son story in Luke 15. You don't have to turn there, but you know, that kid, that kid deserved an elbow up beside his head, right? I wish you would die. Give me my inheritance. And everything the father worked for, the kids spat upon, liquidated into cash, went to a faraway city, spent it all on riotous living. And where do we find the father? When the boy finally comes up for air from the bottom of the swill of a pigsty and realizes that his father's servants have it better than he has it, and I better go home and maybe my father would just let me be his servant. When he walks up the road to the house, where's the father? waiting for him. And it says in verse 20 of Luke 15, he had compassion on his son. He didn't slap the living daylights out of the boy. He didn't relegate him to the lowest tier of servanthood in his house. He killed the fatted calf because that boy that was gone was now here. We bring him back home and father's compassion can be a very inviting thing for a child. That if I come home, my father will receive me. And my heart is filled with compassion for my son, for my daughter, right? And I know there's a lot of prodigal children. Keep praying. Keep interceding. Keep waiting. Have a heart of compassion. Amen? Let's stand together and close in prayer. And so, Father, teach us how to be like you and be you as our ultimate pattern of a father that we would just continue to grow spiritually as fathers and everyone in this room as well, but that our fathers especially would be growing spiritually and that we would emulate the dynamic and important qualities of a spiritual godly dad. Father, help us. We need it. We know we're not perfect and we're very flawed. But thank you for your grace and your mercy. And help us to be the godly men you've called us to be. Bless these dear fathers in this room. And for those who have prodigal children, Lord, would you just give us hearts of compassion. Show us how to intercede, how to be wise, how to receive our children back into the home if we ever have that opportunity. Be merciful to our children, I pray. And in this wicked world, Lord, and as a day when we need strong dads, Help us to be righteous, godly, strong dads in this wicked, perverse generation. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.